This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Quickly, shout out where you're located real quick. Uh, first timer, Jesus, my life. Well, I'm glad you're here. We're going to spend some time in the reading of the word. we got people who've been journeying with us throughout the entire year uh, and have been journeying with us all throughout the entire year last year as well. We've read through the entire New Testament together, and now we're reading through the entire Old Testament together. And it has been an incredibly fruitful endeavor for us as we've been engaging in the Word of God. Even right now, we are live, and we've got people from all around the world gathering, which is why I love when you guys shout it out, because when you guys shout it out, you guys let everybody else know where you are, and you inform everyone about the power of technology, bringing everybody together to read the word of God quickly. I'm going to shout it out real quick. I got South Africa in here. I've got Australia. I've got North Carolina, Uganda, Mesquite, Texas. I've got Jacksonville, Florida, North Carolina, San Antonio, Texas, Brooklyn, New York, Maryland, Alabama, West Virginia, Jamaica, Northern Carolina, Memphis, Tennessee, Johannesburg, Hemlock, New York, South Carolina, Dallas, North Carolina, Indiana, Virginia, Oregon, Atlanta, Ohio, Mississippi, Australia, Boston, Philly, San Antonio. Guys, we are all here. Let me let me just quickly shout out my IG fam. I'm going to put all this on the podcast episode. We got Montreal. We got Seattle. We got Ontario, North Carolina, Miami, my backyard, Philadelphia, Minnesota, um, Brazil in the house, North Carolina, Harlem. We almost have every continent right now participating with us live in the reading of the word. For some of you, it is morning. For me, it's morning. For others, it is in the evening. Others, it's lunchtime. Um, but I'm in uh, South Florida engaging with people from all around the world just to read the word. Isn't that powerful that we can all come together and read the word in simultaneity, to read the word of God and to spend time together reflecting on it? This is what we are here to do. This is what we're here to engage in. And this is my passion. My passion is for believers to actually read the word for themselves. Because when you expose yourself to the totality of the word, it empowers you in a way that allows you to really hear from God, to really position yourself, to be able to defend your position on the scriptures. I believe that one of the travesties and one of the reasons why a lot of people are led astray simply because they're not exposed to the totality of scripture. And, uh, and often what happens is the scripture is actually presented to you in a very intimidating way. Um, it's almost as if only the experts can really tell you what the Bible says. And yet the scriptures are intended for everyone to read and for everyone to participate and partake in. And that's what we're here to do. I'm just here to empower you. I'm here to empower you in the reading of the word. And yes, we read the word and you guys get to spend some time hearing me rant about the word. Um, we call that the read and rant. I call it a rant just to make sure I keep the bar real low for y'all uh, because I've got nothing prepared today. I've got nothing planned. I've got nothing. I'm just here to read. And as a son of the father, I'm just here to hear from God and to hear what God is speaking into us today. So that's what we're here to do. We're here to collaborate together. We're here to come together in the reading of the word, to fellowship together in the word. And there's nothing more powerful than that. I'm so excited about this, and I'm so encouraged by all of you who have engaged in this endeavor. For those of you who support me on Patreon and support this initiative and this endeavor, for those of you who download the podcast and read and and read regularly along with me and participate regularly along with me, it is so encouraging to see what the Lord is doing. And for many of you, you've shared testimonies of how transformative this has been for you, how much it's changed your life. And so um, I just, I can't think of a better way to empower believers than to just have them read the word. And so, um, that's what we're here to do. We're here to read the word. Uh, the name of the podcast is the read and rant podcast. And this is actually an episode from the podcast, which you'll hear probably, you know, a few months or maybe two months from now, since, uh, uh, the podcast is a little bit behind, but that's okay. Because again, that's what we're here to do. We're here to engage. So every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we post one of these. Um, I know our patrons get it right away. So it's all right. I know our patrons are like, you know, we want to get it right away. So I, I make sure I make it available to you guys right away, but I can't do that through the podcast platform. But anyway, or well, I can't do it in a way that doesn't mess up the entire rhythm of the podcast platform. And so, um, I want to continue our reading and we've gone through Genesis all the way now to the book of Psalms and we are in Psalms. Uh, I believe we read through Psalm 78. And so we're in Psalm 79 today. Is that right? I want to make sure we're all on the same page. Uh, is that right? Okay. Um, I want to read Psalm 79. And as we read, we want to be, uh, 
postured in the reading of the word in a way where we're receiving from God, um, in a way we're receiving from him. We want to be postured in the text to uh, be inspired by him, to hear from him. We want to meditate on the scripture. And so to meditate on the scripture, we're going to ask ourselves three questions. God, what are you revealing about yourself? What are you revealing concerning yourself? This, the second question is, God, what are you revealing concerning people? And the third question is, God, what are you revealing concerning me? These are the three questions that we're going to ask as we engage with the word of God today. And so let's pray and then we'll get right into it. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. Um, we thank you for your grace and your mercy towards us. We thank you, Lord, that you are good. You are good and your mercy endures forever. Father, we thank you that you are blessing us even in this moment, Lord, to Lord, hear from you today. So, Father, speak to us today. Lord, speak to us in your word. Bless us with your word. Guide us in the truth of your word. Reveal to us the truth of your word and all that we do. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 79. Let's read it. And it says this. O oh God, the nations have come into your inheritance. Your holy temple they have defiled. They have laid Jerusalem in heaps, the dead bodies of your servants. They have given as food for the birds of the heavens, the flesh of your saints to the beasts of the earth. Their blood they have shed like water all around Jerusalem. And there's no one to bury them. We have become a reproach to our neighbors a scorn and a derision to those around us. How long, O oh Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your wrath on the nations that do not know you and all the kingdoms that do not call on your name. For they have devoured Jacob and have laid waste his dwelling place. Oh, do not remember former iniquities against us. Let your tender mercies come speedily to meet us. For we have been brought very low. Help us, O God, of our salvation. For the glory of your name and deliver us and provide atonement for our sins. And for your name's sake, why should the nations say, where is their God? Let there be known among the nations in our sight the avenging of the blood of your servants, which has been shed. Let the groaning of the prisoner come before you. According to the greatness of your power, preserve those who are appointed to die and return to our neighbors sevenfold into their bosom, their reproach with which they have reproached you, O Lord. So we, your people and sheep of your pastor, will give you thanks forever. We will show forth your praise to all generations. Psalm 80. Give ear. O shepherd of Israel, you who led Jacob like a flock, you who dwell between the cherubim shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh, stir up your strength and come and save us. Restore us, O God, cause your face to shine and we shall be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry against the prayer of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears and have given them tears to drink in great measure. You have made us a strife to our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Cause your face to shine and we shall be saved. You have brought a vine out of Egypt. You have cast out the nations and planted it. You prepare room for it and cause it to take deep root and it filled the land. The hills were covered with its shadow and the mighty cedars with its bows. She sent out her bows to the sea and her branches to the river. Why have you broken down her hedges so that all who pass by the, the way pluck her fruit? The boar out of the woods uproots it. The wild beast of the field devours it. Return, we beseech you, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see and visit this vine and the vineyard which your right hand has planted in the branch that you made strong for yourself. It is burned with fire. It is cut down. They perish 
at the rebuke of your countenance. Let your hand be upon the man of your right hand, upon the son of man whom you made strong for yourself, that we will not turn back from you. Revive us hmm. and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O God of hosts. Cause your face to shine and we shall be saved. Mm, I want to go back to that. Hmm. Psalm 81. Sing aloud to God our strength. Make a joyful shout to the God of Jacob. Raise a song and strike the timbrel, the pleasant harp with the loop. Blow the trumpet at the time of the new moon, at the full moon of our solemn feast day, for this is a statute for Israel, a law of the God of Jacob. This he established in Joseph as a testimony when he went throughout the land of Egypt, when I heard a language I did not understand. I removed his shoulder from the burden. His hands were free from the baskets. You are called in trouble, and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you in the waters of Meribah. Hear, O oh my people, and I will admonish you. O oh Israel, if you will listen to me, there shall be no foreign God among you, nor shall you worship any foreign God. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Hmm. But my people would not heed my voice and Israel would have none of me. So I gave them over to their stubborn heart to walk in their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemy and turn my hand against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord would pretend submission to him, but their fate would endure forever. He would have fed them also with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock I would have satisfied you. Psalm 82, God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Hmm. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are unstable. I said, you are gods and all of your children of the most high. But you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. Psalm 83. Do not keep silent, O God. Do not hold your peace, do, and do not be still, O God. For behold, your enemies make a tumult, and those who hate you have lifted up their head. They have taken crafty counsel against your people and have consulted together against your sheltered ones. They have said, Come and let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. For they have consulted together with one consent. They form a confederacy against you, the tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagrites, Gebal, Ammon, Amalek, Philistia, with its inhabitants in Tyr, Assyria, also joined with them. They have helped the children of Lot. Deal with them as with Midian, as with Sisera, as with Jabin, at the brook Kishon, who perished at Endor, who became a refuse on the earth. Make their nobles like Oreb and like Zeb. Yes, all their princes like Zeba and Zalmunna. Who said, let us take for ourselves the pastures of God for possession. Oh my God, make them like a whirling dust, like chafe before the wind as the fire burns the woods and as the flame sets the mountains on fire. So pursue them with your tempest and frighten them with your storm. 
fill their faces with shame, that they may seek your name, O God. Let them be confounded and dismayed forever. Let them be put to to shame and perish, that they may know that you, whose name alone is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. Wow. Psalm 84. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and a swallow and, and, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength as one appears before the God of Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. O God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Blessed is the man who trusts in you. Wow. Psalm 85. Lord, you have been favorable in your land. You have brought back the captivity of Jacob. You have forgiven the iniquity of your people. You have covered all their sin. You have taken away all your wrath. You have turned from the fierceness of your anger. Restore us, O God of our salvation. Cause your anger towards us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your mercy, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people and to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. (laughs) Truth shall spring out of the earth and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Wow. Yes, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and he shall make his footsteps our pathway. Wow. Psalm 86. Bow down your ear, O Lord, and hear me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am holy. You are my God. Save your servant who trusts in you. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I cry to you all day long. Rejoice the soul of your servant. For to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer and attend to the voice of my supplications. For in the day of trouble, I will call upon you, for you will answer me. Among the gods, there is none like you. O Lord, nor are there any works like your works. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous works. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart, 
and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your mercy toward me. And you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, the proud have risen against me. A mob of violent men have sought my life and have not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. Oh, turn to me and have mercy on me. Give your strength to your servant and save your son of your maidservant. Save the sorry, save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign for good that those who hate me may see it and be ashamed because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. We'll read one more and then we'll call it. Psalm 87. His foundation is in the holy mountains. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. I will make mention of Rahab and Babylon to those who know me. Behold, O Philistia and Tyre with Ethiopia. This one was born there. And of Zion, it will be said, the one that, <clears throat> sorry, the one that one were born in her. And the Most High himself shall establish her. The Lord will record when he registers the people. This one is born there. Both the singers and the players on instruments say, All my springs are in you. The Word of God. The songs of God. The songs of God's people. We just went through a whole bunch of them. Went through a whole bunch of psalms. The theological richness, the theological depth of the books that we just read just now would require us to spend hours upon hours working through it. All that is to say, we're not afforded the time. We're not. We're not afforded the time to really break down everything we just read. There's so much here to unpack from Psalm 79 now all the way to Psalm 87. Some of them were shorter than others, but they're deep, profoundly deep, profoundly rich. thing that I appreciate, and I've said this before about the book of Psalms, is that the book of Psalms gives us a, and, and I know this is going to sound weird, so I'm going to say it in the way I want to say it, and then I'm going to say it maybe in a way that sounds a little bit more benign. But the book of Psalms is a pathetic theology. The book of Psalms provides to us a pathetic theology. And people say, what do you mean by pathetic? You're saying it's bad? No, I'm saying it's a theology that attends to the emotion. Is a theology that attends to the heart. Is a theology that is emotional. So the less benign, or sorry, the more benign way of saying is that it is an emotional theology. There are those who have a doctrinal understanding of God. And I'm always worry of that. I'm worry of people who have simply a doctrinal understanding of God who understand God based off of the constructs of man. I have an issue with that because most people who understand God with their mind do not know God because God is emotional. And we being made in his image according to his likeness have been given and hardwired with emotion for the sake of connecting to God in a deep way. If you only know God based off of a bunch of ideas and doctrines, you don't really know God. You just know ideas. And you don't know God because you may just simply know a club. You may just fit within a denomination. <laughs> You've got word, but you have no revelation. You have understanding, and yet you do not know. 
Ah, Jesus spoke about those who knew the word but did not know God. Ah, they know a lot, but they don't know anything. Which is why I believe Jesus was uh, very, very intentional to describe what we ought to aspire towards as believers. We should be aspiring not to be haughty, well-educated, and fully knowledgeable Christians, but rather to allow the knowledge of God to humble you, to humble you in a way that causes you to posture yourself as a child. You know you're going the wrong way when you start becoming impressed with what you know about the scriptures. You know you're getting it wrong when the more you know the Bible, the better you feel about yourself and the more puffed up and the more, you know, prideful you become. The scriptures tell us that knowledge puffs up. And how many people get puffed up with knowledge? You know you're doing it wrong. You know you got it wrong when all you know is the ideas of God, but you do not know him. Ah, but for the person who truly encounters God, what they realize is, is that the more that they know, the more that they humble themselves and posture themselves as children. It's no surprise that Jesus said that the kingdom of God is for those who are like children. If your spiritual maturity makes you more prideful about yourself, then you have not matured spiritually. Spiritual maturity is when you actually begin to humble yourself more more and more and more and you become more and more and more like a child because man theology is great but if theology makes you feel better and elevates you and brings you up and you know you start feeling real good you start feeling yourself because you know so much bible now i'll tell you right now the word isn't doing what it ought to do because what the scriptures is meant to do is it's meant to Humble yourself. I've always said this, that the more you know God, the more you realize how dependent you are on him. And the closer you get to God, the smaller you become. <laughs> Explain to you what I mean by that. The closer you get to God, ah, the smaller you become. And the more dependent you are on him, and the more you realize, apart from him, I'm nothing. I can do nothing apart from God. I am nothing apart from God. Ah, yes, I'm worried of people who they say they're close to God, but they start feeling themselves in a way apart from God. No, God is not going to judge you. He's not going to evaluate you based off your off of your doctrinal understanding. God's not going to look at you and say, all right, now speak to me about the doctrines of grace. Tell me, God is not going to quiz you based off of how much you know about scripture. God's going to ask you about your posture in him. Are you a child before him? Or are you too busy trying to get grown? Jesus said that he said, let the little children come unto me. That's what Jesus said. He said, let the little children come unto me for as such is the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> it didn't say, let the bishops come to me. Let the um, philosophers come to me. Let the highly educated come to me. I've always said this, children have an advantage over grown folk. When it comes to spiritual matters, children have an advantage over grown folk. Let me say that again. When it comes to the matters of the spirit, children have an advantage. Because a childlike spirit allows the possibility for faith to take them to a dimension that a lot of us, because we've been jaded with life, don't get to experience. Children have the potential to experience God in a way that most grown folks can't. There's a purity to their childlikeness and there's an openness to their imagination that allows faith to bring in a grace that allows God to reveal himself in a powerful way and to move through them powerfully. Children are ahead of us. 
If you want to grow spiritually, become more like a child. I'm sorry, I'm ranting. But that's what you're here for. Felt I had to say that. Because what we see here in my reading, and this is something that we just not, we're just not afforded. If we talk about the depth of what we just read, the, the, the pathetic theology, the emotional theology. I, I love Psalms simply for the fact that Psalms does not speak about God from a doctrinal and cerebral perspective, but, uh, but, but, but Psalms speaks about God from a childlike posture from the posture of someone who is emoting their wisdom and their knowledge and their understanding of God. And so we read the book of Psalms and we see revelations about God that you don't see anywhere else in the scripture. I will submit the following thesis, and this is going to sound a little bit, I don't know, this might sound a little... A little provocative, a little provocative, but stay with me for a second. I've said this, that everything that we've read up to Psalms is leading up to this. This is, this is not happening after what we've read. Okay. So when we read through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, we're reading first Samuel, right? Second Samuel, right? The, like the, the kingdom of David and the kingdom of Saul and then and then the kingdom of Solomon and then of course the fracture in the kingdom of Solomon and then so you you see what's happening there and you you see the story of not the kings first kings and second kings and first chronicles and second chronicles and then you see a story of Ezra and Nehemiah these all while they while most of them are um, chronological. The book of Psalms is not chronologically after those. The book of Psalms kind of sits on top of that because a lot of these songs that you are reading, that these people are singing, they're singing after all these things have transpired. But the authors of those songs wrote them while those things were transpiring. So um, you've got David, who obviously that was around the time of uh, of the first Samuel, second Samuel, uh, first Chronicles and second Chronicles, maybe not second Chronicles, well, a little bit of second Chronicles, not much of second Chronicles, but some of second Chronicles. So you see now that what is, what, what's happening during that period of time in those four books is being written here. And so we've, we, we've gotten a historical narrative of the children of Israel, a history of what has transpired. So it's more historical and now you read the book of Psalms and it's more um, poetic and emotional. And so what we're seeing is we're, we're seeing another angle to what we've already read. Is everybody hearing what I'm saying? Like you're seeing another angle to it. So we see everything that has happened. Now we see where David was in it emotionally. We see everything that's transpired and now you'll see where Ezra was in it emotionally. We see everything that has happened, and now you see where Solomon was emotionally. The sons of Korah, that's right, ASAP. And so you see these prophets who, were, who, who, who lived during that period of time, and now they write these songs inspired by God to write to the people to help them make sense of what is happening in their lives, what is happening in their history. What, and so because of all that, not only was it important for the people in the time that they were going through it, but it was important for the people afterwards because the people afterwards now, they need to make sense of why they are where they are. And so now we see another angle to it, but I will argue this to you, and this might sound uh, slightly provocative, that theology actually begins in the book of Psalms. I say, no, no, theology begins. There's a theology from the beginning. Of course there is. But a theology, what I mean by a theology, I'm talking about a study of God, like, like knowing who God is, to have an understanding of who God is, to have a sense of who God is. Genesis tells you a lot about God. Exodus gives you insight about God and his relationship with his people. Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, these are all more historical than they are theological. And then we know that Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st Samuel, 2nd, all those books, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, 
These are all, they're all historical. Job is the only one that kind of separates from all of them because Job is very poetic and, and Job is really speaking on a theology, but more about the justice of God than it is about anything else. I say all this to say to you that I will argue to you that it, it takes getting to Psalms to really know who God is. It hasn't become theological, at least explicitly theological, up until the book of Psalms. And up to this point, all the previous books are, um, they are uh, implicitly theological. But the book of Psalms is explicitly theological because it is either God speaking or God's people speaking to God. Pay attention, family. It's really in the book of Psalms that we actually see a direct conversation between people and their God or a direct word from God, all written in the form of song. I've always said this, that songs are spiritual. Every song is spiritual. You, you, you cannot separate the spirit from the emotion. You cannot separate the spirit from the emotion. You cannot separate the spirit from, from the soul. And yes, there is a difference between the spirit and the soul. Ah, the soul is what houses the emotion. The spirit is what is the conduit and the connection to God. And this is why these songs are so important because the soul is finally accessing God. I told you there's a lot here and I'm not afforded the time to really unpack it only to say that this is really where you get to really know who God is. If you really want to get to know God, spend time in the book of Psalms. If you really want to get to know God, dig into the book of Psalms because the book of Psalms is going to say some things that are going to sound a little weird and a little off. And if you've been paying attention to the book of Psalms, you're going to see some things in the book of Psalms that is that in the Christian world, and I'm going to use quote unquote Christian world, they sound almost heretical. Forget it, not almost. They sound heretical. The things that are being said about God here sound heretical. Now, I've said this before that the Western understanding of God would confuse the Eastern world. The Eastern world, the people who actually wrote this book, if you described God to them, they would look at you like you're crazy. You know, our Greco Roman influenced our Euro-influenced understanding of God, our Westernized influence in our understanding of God, our, our theological constructs that we've created for God, trying to box God in a way to make God fit within some doctrines and ideas. And, and so we put all, you know, we try to create these, 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 these constructs to try to understand God. That's why the Trinity confuses people. Because you can be so Trinitarian that you become heretical. <laughs> Please don't, don't don't just say, Pastor, you're not Trinitarian. You're not a Trinitarian. You 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 don't believe in the Trinity. I did not say that. Actually, I believe there are those who do not believe in the Trinity that have a heretical understanding of God as well. They'll present to you a doctrine of the uh, an anti-Trinity doctrine, which is not God either. But there are some Trinitarians that are so Trinitarian that they they're heretical as well. Because we are so busy trying to fit God into an idea that we don't sit to try to get to know God personally. To actually get to know him. I'm saying this with, with profound passion. God is not somebody who you get to just study about. God is somebody you get to know. Let me say that one more time. God is not someone who you get to study about. God is someone who you get to know and get to be in relationship with. 
How can you say you love someone and yet all you do is study about them and never get to really know them? And so many people have been trained to study about God that they actually know a lot about God but do not know anything about God. Get to know him. Jesus gives us access to that. Like get to get to know him. Like just just think about that for a moment. If our motivation was to get to know God, we would we would we would understand how much we limit God with our doctrines. The analogy that I'll use, and I'm ranting, I'm all over the place. Stay with me. Stay with me, family, because this is what I'm being convinced of and convicted of, even as I read this, because there's so much here. There's so much here. I could be here for hours. I'm going to give you one thing from this, but I feel like I need to sit in this for a minute because what, 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 what Psalms provides us is a window into what it looks like for people to know God and not just know about God. What the book of Psalms does is Psalms allows us to really take a peek into how people who know God engage with God in a deep, intimate way. The analogy, the symbol, the allegory of humanity and God is one of marriage. Sorry if I go off the rails for a second. But this is going to help you understand where I'm at. And maybe this is all we do. Who knows? Because I only have a few more minutes. Wow. I can't believe time has been moving this fast. But the allegory of humanity and God is one of marriage. Right? We know that in Ephesians chapter 5. Um, sorry, Ephesians chapter 6. Husbands, love your wives. 5, sorry. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up and gave himself for her. Or when we see the scriptures of, you know, a man shall leave his mother and father and be cleaved to his wife and they, and the two shall become one flesh. So this oneness, this oneness in Christ is all spoken throughout the scripture. This oneness, this oneness, this intimacy, this intimate oneness. This is, this is, there's no separation, no space between humanity and God. They are one in the same together, one. Do you hear that? This oneness, this is critically important, yo. Because in the same way, you know, when we think about marriage, we, we have this issue with this idea of oneness, this concept of oneness. Um, but we can at least take a glimpse into it by simply seeing what a thriving marriage looks like. When a man loves a woman, he doesn't just get to know about her. Say that one more time. When a man loves a woman, he doesn't just get to know about her. He gets to know her. He gets to know everything about her, but also gets to know her, not just her history. When he knows her, he knows how she responds in the future to what's happening in the present. He digs into her, digs deep into her soul, invests time, effort, energy into her soul. And the thing is, is that he cannot know her simply by reading about her. The only way to know her is when he sits with her, dines with her, eats with her. That's how he gets to know her. I find a lot of people, when they see their relationship with God, they don't know God because they've been busy reading about him but haven't spent time to know him. And yet that's what prayer does. When a woman loves a man, she's not just satisfied with what he provides. Say it again. When a woman loves a man, she's not just satisfied with what he provides. She wants his heart. She wants to know what makes him weak. She wants to know what, what he's vulnerable. As a matter of fact, his vulnerability attracts her. It makes her want to draw closer. His weaknesses attracts her. Because now she gets to know him. Actually, what he's not able to do, she is a nurturer at heart. And so she wants to draw nearer to that. She wants to know him. 
She wants to know his heart. She wants to know what makes him tick. She wants to know what brings him joy. Uh, when a woman loves a man, she draws near to him. Doesn't simply seek his provision. And yet this is what God wants for us. Not to simply look at him as a provider, but to actually get to know him. To actually get nearer to him. And when it is that, oh, how beautiful it is when you have a thriving relationship with God. You know, you know your relationship's going well when you can actually open up and share the ugly things about you. You know your, your marriage is where it ought to be when there's nothing to hide. Where your spouse knows everything about you, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And man, when they accept you for that, how freeing and how liberating is that? It makes you want to be with that person all the time and dwell with that person. That's what it means to know someone, to dwell with them, to get to know them, to live with them, to make their pain your, your pain, to make their joy your joy, to make their brokenness your brokenness. You own it together. Isn't that beautiful? That that's what God wants for us. He doesn't want your perfection. Jesus wants you. He wants your brokenness. He wants everything that's broken about you because he wants you. Too many people want a theology that is cerebral, but they don't want a theology that is emotional. The word pathetic, and that's why I say the book of Psalms is a pathetic theology. The book of Psalms is a pathetic theology. And when I say that, many of you will look and say, that sucks. He's, he's, he's dissing the book of Psalms. Notice how we have made the word pathetic a derogatory word. Notice how we We've made the word pathetic something not to celebrate, but something to denigrate. When the pathos is the emotion, pathetic doesn't mean it isn't meant to be celebrated or meant to be rejected. Pathetic simply means that it was intended to attend to the emotion. That's actually what it means for something to be pathetic. But we've made pathetic into something that's negative, ugly, not worth celebrating, should be put to the side. How pathetic. You've heard that, right? How pathetic. It comes from the pathos. And yet what God wants for us is to have a pathetic understanding of him. <laughs> God wants us to have a pathetic understanding of him. God wants us to know him pathetically. I know you're thinking, well, pathetic, that, that, that's bad. That ain't good. But pathetic just simply means the emotion. He wants you to know him emotionally, not just intellectually, a cerebral understanding of God. No, he wants an emotional, pathetic understanding of God. Stop denigrating the word pathetic. The emotions are meant to be emoted. We are emotional people and we're meant to express ourselves that way. So emote to God, get to know God on an emotional level. Stop trying to understand him on simply a cerebral level. That might be pathetic. <laughs> Play on words. So, to leave with my thought, because I just ranted and I only have a few minutes. So I'll leave with this thought for you guys. And I'll let you work through it. These people knew God. These people had an understanding of God. These people yeah, they describe God 
in a way that Westerners do not. They open up a can of worms. This particular portion of the scripture opens up a can of worms that I am not afforded to speak about. And I almost don't even want to bring it up to understand who God is among the gods. And yet we see the beginning of the, the, the reading, and I'm just going to just point it out real quick, is at the beginning of the reading, we see a people from Psalm 79, sorry, who are singing a, an emotional song, one in which they're asking for forgiveness, a prayer for the pain that they've experienced, because again, they can emote themselves that way. Psalms 80 then moves towards a prayer for restoration. And what I love about it is that when he says, restore us, O God of hosts, understand God of hosts means something different. (laughs) Um, Among the gods is God, who is the God of hosts. Among the Elohim is Elohim, who is the God of hosts. The God of hosts, the one above all gods. The God of hosts who is not like the other gods because there are other gods. There are other Elohim and they all, they all actually exist. But he says, restore us, O God of hosts. Cause your face to shine and we shall be saved. I have a question, family. What does salvation look like for you? This is a word of conviction, and I know I ain't got the time, so I'm just going to work this for a second. What is salvation for you? For many people, salvation is being saved out of the possibility of death. For other people, salvation is being finally put into a, a place of comfort or position or enfranchisement, or title. For many people, when we speak about salvation, salvation is, I'm finally comfortable. There's no more pain for me, or I've finally been free of the chains that have been broken. What is salvation? And what does salvation look like? I have to I have to break this down family because as we're reading this text the thing that that really sticks out to me and there's so much that I could read about and we'll talk about the gods I'll I'll bring it up maybe right after this reading rant for you guys cuz we'll talk about it very briefly because it, that that can get get us into all kinds of trouble but when we talk about salvation many of us want to be saved for our own preservation Isn't it funny how Western Christianity makes salvation one about preservation? I'm saved so that I don't go to hell. I'm saved so I don't have to go through any more pain. I want to be saved so that way my life can be comfortable again. I want to be saved so I can have a husband. I want to be saved so so my, so my life can be put back together again. I want to be saved so I'm not broken anymore. We define our salvation by our preservation in our comfort. But the children of Israel saw salvation differently. Psalm 80, restore us, O Lord God of hosts, cause your face to shine and we shall be saved. If your salvation is without the glory of God, it is not salvation. If you got comfort without the glory of God, it is not salvation. If you've got some semblance of peace without the glory of God, it is not salvation. If you've got some kind of position or power or resource without the glory of God, it is not salvation. We want to be saved and preserved. But the question is, do we desire to seek the glory of God? Family, look at that text one more time and notice that salvation is coincided with causing the face of God to shine. Causing the face of God to shine. Rethink what being saved looks like. Rethink it. 
I know. I this ain't fun. This ain't sweet. This is not a sweet conversation. We'll get something better another day. But I'm going to say this to you because I love y'all. And I love you guys deeply. But I've realized that many of us, we have semblances of salvation, but we don't have true salvation. We have semblances of breakthrough and deliverance, but we don't have true deliverance. You thought you were saved because you're finally able to pay your bills. You thought you were saved because you finally have a sense that you're not going to go to hell anymore. You, you, you thought you were saved because, you know, you've been going to church and now you feel better about yourself. So I'm saved. Not the children of Israel. Salvation coincided with causing the face of God to shine. So family today, is God's face shining on you? <laughs> is God's face shining? Because they say, restore us, O Lord God of hosts, cause your face to shine and we shall be saved. What point is salvation without the glory of God? What point is salvation without his face shining? But here's another point. How can the face of God shine if you don't even know what the face of God is? How can the face of God shine if you don't know where to find the face of God? How can the face of God shine when you haven't spent time with the face of God? How can the face of God shine if you don't dwell in the presence of God? How can the face of God shine if God is not within your periphery? How can his face shine if you don't seek his face? Now you understand why the scriptures tell us that we ought to seek his face. Salvation is actually when the face of God shines. That's salvation. Salvation is when you've been so steeped in the presence of God that when you walk out of the room, people see something different. They see the glory of God. They see the face of God. I know this ain't sweet, but it's all in love because God is convicting me as I'm reading this along with you that for many of us, the reason why we have not yet Seeing the face of God shine is because we haven't sought his face. We've simply sought ideas and doctrines. I saw somebody just message just now, and I want to address that. It says, so does apologetics have any purpose? It absolutely does. Apologetics is important to defend your faith. I just wanted to answer that question very quickly because Second Peter 3 verse 15 tells us, be prepared to have a defense for the hope that you have. Here's the problem with a lot of apologists is most of our apologists is not actually defending the faith. Most of our apologetics is actually dividing the faith. Ooh. I'm sorry. This is another rant. Apologetics. Does it matter? Yes, it does. Apologetics matters for defending your faith. But Mr. Apologist and Mrs. Apologist, let me ask you a question. Have you been defending the faith or have you been dividing the faith? Because what I've found is most apologists are not actually defending those who are not believers, who are placing and spitting false doctrine. No, they spend more time arguing with one another, arguing over doctrine. So rather than defending the faith, I find that apologists are dividing the faith. And Paul spoke vehemently against that. He calls that sectarianism. Some of us, we love our theologies more than we love God. I love apologetics. Don't get it twisted. 
But I find that apologetics is a waste of time in today's world when we don't know God. We don't have a relationship with God. I'm sorry, I'm over time. This is not going to end sweet today. Be encouraged, though, because God wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to know you. He wants you to know him. He wants you to be in relationship. When I say one with him, one with him. Give him everything, all of you. And accept everything from him. Break down all your thoughts about who God is. Throw everything out the water. Spend time with him and spend time in his word. And when you do that, you're going to start seeing that there were things in the Bible that you were reading that you never could pay attention to because you were so busy trying to make it fit within the doctrine that was given to you. But instead, remove all of that and say, God, show me your heart. Show me, show me who you are. Because he's loving, he's gracious, and he wants to know you. And he wants to be in relationship with you. Father, I ask today, Lord, that you engage with us. Lord, throughout the remainder of this day and the way that you're engaging with us right now, Lord, I thank you for the word of conviction that we, Lord, sometimes know a lot about you, but we don't know you. So today I pray that you would open our hearts to know you, to truly get to know you and to be in relationship with you. Bless us today. Bless us throughout the remainder of this day. Give us the grace to persevere. Lord, give us the grace, Lord, to humble ourselves and to receive ourselves. Give us the grace to just become children before you. That, Lord, we would not only seek your face, but that we would find it and that your face would shine upon us. And we ask that in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you, family. Um, I'm planning right now, and I'll send an update on Patreon. Uh, for those of you who are patrons, I'm planning a Bible study on Tuesday. I'm planning to continue our Bible study on the church, what the Bible says about what the church is. I'm, I'm, I have a few things I need to move around, but I want to see if I can keep squeezing some more of those Bible studies in. So pay close attention to that. I will be posting an update on Patreon about Bible study. So stay posted on that. If you want also any updates, definitely subscribe to our mailing list and subscribe to my number, 954-231-18. Tuesday's my birthday. Look at my wife. She stopped me. Wait, I, it's Tuesday? Tuesday is my birthday. I thought it was on Monday. All right, I'll try to choose a different day. Wow, that's crazy. Of course, Vanessa comes in to tell me Tuesday's my birthday. Great, it's my birthday. Thank you for reminding me. Um... But yeah, so family, I, I I'm still going to coordinate. We'll see what what uh we'll see what day we can we can do it. But I'm I'm looking to actually get through this teaching as much as I can. And so I want to encourage you guys um to subscribe. Um also the mailing list, I'm going to start sending like one paragraph synopses of our read and rant. Um so definitely um join that. All of that is in the link in the bio. So click the link in the bio or click the link in the profile and you can learn more about how you can support. You can learn more about how you can remain connected. Um, the number is there, I believe, as well. So 954-231-1848. Be sure to text me, okay? So that way we can stay. Do y'all still have stock on Jesus Peace? Um, we have a few left. So if you're interested in getting a hoodie, a Jesus Peace hoodie, there are a few left. Remember, we're in pre-launch right now. There are a few left. Uh, there are some sweaters uh, left as well. We were just kind of getting rid of our first iteration of it. Um, we're, you know, and, and we're using your support for that to help expand um, Jesus Peace. And so um, I thank you for all of you who bought us a, a hoodie or a sweater. Sweater, we thank you so much, guys. Thank you for believing in the vision. Um, but yeah, it's, it's jesuspeace.store. So if you're interested in getting... I want to get another one. You oh, oh, that's cool, man. Just yeah, there should be more available. Um, I don't do I have Jesus Peace in, in the bio uh page? I don't. So just go to Jesuspeace.store. Go to Jesuspeace.store. If you want to learn how to become a patron and join our Patreon community, the link is also in the bio. Uh the link, if you want to go directly there, it's patreon.com slash Isaac Frere. Patreon.com slash Isaac Frere. Yes, Sean Carter, I am here every morning. All right. I'm here every morning. And um, yeah, so 
guys, stay connected. Okay. Just join the text. I'll be sending a text out right after this. And also, um, uh, subscribe to the podcast and also subscribe to our mailing list. I really want to start giving you guys updates on things that we're doing. Um, I'm excited about eBooks that we'll be providing. I want to start providing more, um, uh, more written content as well. And I want, there's some content that I just want to make free. I really do. And so you guys, you guys make it possible. Your support on Patreon makes it possible. The patrons make it possible for me to just simply deliver content um, so that everyone else can receive it. And so, guys, thank you for allowing me. Yes, I am on Spotify, God's Angel. I am on Spotify. So uh, definitely connect with me there as well. You can subscribe from Spotify. I believe by the end of the day today, we'll be at 70,000 downloads. That's amazing. We are, it's, it's exponentially growing. Thank you guys for sharing uh, the podcast. Thank you guys for sharing the read and rant. Um, I'm so encouraged by that. I'm just encouraged that more people are reading the Bible, really. Because if you're, if, you're, if, you're, if you're listening to the read and rant podcast, then you're definitely reading through the whole Bible. So that alone is why I do it. And I'm excited about that. Uh, but yeah, so I'll keep you guys posted. I did post, if you guys didn't catch it, I did post uh, last week's Bible study on Patreon. So you should be able to catch it. If you missed the live session, you can at least catch the replay. So I posted the audio for that and I will post the audio for this read and rant uh, right afterwards as well on Patreon. So you guys can get it right away, but this will be available on the podcast. Um, it's only because the podcast is scheduled on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday that we're not able to, um, to, uh, uh, do it right away and it would mess up our entire schedule. So I'm not doing that now. Um, yeah. So anyway, love y'all. See y'all. 